Major donors help KPFT in many ways. Major donors help big station projects and ensure KPFT gets the money it needs to survive without all those pledge drives. Just call our development director at 713-526-4000 to become a major donor today. Your donation of $5,000 or more helps keep independent arts, music, news, and views alive and kicking on the Gulf Coast. Become a KPFT major donor today. Call our development director at 713-526-4000 to join KPFT's major donor program. KPFT is indispensable, but we need you to keep our blood pumping. This is KPFT Houston, Texas. You are tuning into Latino Politics and News with Tony Diaz on 90.1 FM, KPFT, Houston, Texas. The era of Hispandering is over. Salió con su amiga, dice que pa' matar la tusa, que porque un hombre le pagó mal. Kicking and screaming a big toddler. Don't try to get your friends to come holler, holler. Ayo, hey, I used to lay low. I wasn't in the clubs, I was on my J.O. Until I realized you were epic fail. So don't tell your guys when I say a bail. Cause it's a new day, I'm in a new place. Getting some new days, sitting on a new face. Cause I know I'm not you ever really met. You searching for and you ain't met her yet. Hey yo, tell him to back off. He wanna slack off. Ain't no more booty calls. You gotta Off. It's me and Carol G. We let them racks talk. Don't run up on us 'cause they letting the max off. Pero si le ponen la canción. Oh, 
the queen, with the queen. Thank you for tuning in to Latino Politics and News. I'm Tony Diaz. We're recording remotely for broadcast on Tuesday, May 5th, 2020. This is the best way and most authentic way to celebrate Cinco de Mayo. So welcome to our cultura. We're going to tackle some existential questions today. Should it take 10 calls to find out who's in charge of graffiti on a bridge in your neighborhood? Should it be easy to find out which branch of government is responsible for that bridge? What if you run for mayor and lose? Is your political career over before it even takes off? We're going to examine these issues at different levels on today's program and other issues as well. At the top of the show, we'll be speaking with Michael Moore, candidate for Harris County Precinct 3. He's in a Democrat runoff July 14th. During the second half of the show, we'll speak with Adam Sanchez, who's running for Stafford City Council in November. And we begin the program with news impacting our community. Nationally, we are very proud that the Mexican-American Legal Defense Fund, MALDEF, is suing on behalf of U.S. citizens who filed taxes as mixed immigration status family households. And as a result, were denied benefits for the coronavirus relief checks. This sounds like taxation without representation. We're going to keep an eye on this and keep you updated. However, those families may get help in Harris County. Harris County Commissioner's Court approved $15 million to help low-income residents, including those families who were denied those $1,200 checks from the federal relief programs because they filed as immigration mixed-status families. We applaud Harris County Commissioner's Court for putting Harris County first. This is a powerful way to rebuke the scapegoating of immigrants that's happening nationally. Those funds will help Harris County residents pay for rent, shop at stores, keep working as grocers, as all the other jobs that keep this economy going. Harris County also approved $12 million for mail-in ballots to make sure everyone has a chance to vote during this coronavirus epidemic. We hope that there'll be extra efforts to educate the community about this. And we want to remind you to tell your friends and family that the runoff elections are scheduled for July 14. We want to thank our crew for helping us put the show together. Leti Lopez, Rodrigo Bravo, who mixes the show remotely, Claudia Soler Alfonso, Jacira Nacomer, Laurie Flores, Stefano Cavasa, Al Castillo. I'm happy to join you every Tuesday from 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. for Latino Politics and News here on 90.1 FM KPFT. That's followed by Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say at 6 p.m. And I also get to see you on the political talk show, What's Your Point, on Fox 26 Houston, Sundays at 7 a.m. This is Tony Diaz with Latino Politics and News. Stay tuned. I got a bunch of money in the bank, but I got me some bills, so I fucked up the rear. I am a Mexican, so when I ball at the Galleria, they call me Maria. I give a fuck what you call me, just don't call me broke. Listen, Susan, just back up your Kia. I got a big whip with a lip, and I just bought for it, can see yo when I see ya. Mucha gente no les gusta que tengo talento y que no necesito de nadie. Entro a la pinche meeting pa' que digan que quieren mis fans, yo les digo que paguen. Dicen que quieren que yo les enseñe cómo hacer lo mismo, y aquí está el detalle. Yo no me vendo y por eso me odian, sinceramente, yo les miento la madre, and that's how I do it. That's how I do it, that's how I do it, and that's how it's done. That's how I do it, that's how I do it, and that's how I do it. And that's how it's done. That's how I do it. 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 And that's how it's done. Cause that's how it's done. I meet a lot of people that be telling me how I'm so lucky that I got it made. I won't consider myself anybody till Mexicans ain't gotta work as a maid. I give a the internet say. I ain't gonna be part of my day. You text a fan number I made or don't. Really, I'm more than okay. I'm Gucci, keep it G G G G G. In my way, then B B B B B. Not your head like C C C C C. I know that you really see me. All on the net, uh, stabbing all on they neck. Uh, why the f you upset? Uh, I'm not into your men. Uh, not my body online. Commenting that I'm fine. 
said he heard that I'm by Trying to find out if that's right Ya tengo tiempo diciendo lo mismo India María ni de aquí ni de allá Vinieron mis padres directo de México Armaron su lío y se fueron para atrás Dijeron que ch... su madre con Trump Tomando modelo no pega corona Mi padre quería tener un hijo bravo Por eso salí de mi madre Now I got a business and I need some cash I got a kid and he's growing up fast He tell me mommy these rappers is trash But if I let him rap he be showing his Cause half of these rappers be having an image crisis Every time they go through it Everybody talking real in these songs But boy can't do it But this how I do it That's how I do it That's how I do it And that's how it's done That's how I do it That's how I do it And that's how I do it And that's how it's done That's how I do it 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 And that's how it's done Cause that's how it's done I like to pop off at shows I drink tequila I'm as real as they come But I just found out Even people I put on is jealous of mine So I buy me a gun And it go boom 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 pow Kill at will And this one's Fergie If I put you on And you try to yell onto me I swear to God that I will do you dirty Cause I am a legend But y'all ain't gonna see it Till after I'm gone But that's just how it go But I'ma be honest I don't care to be one If that's what it takes Cause my kid gotta grow But I'ma talk my And I'm a rep like I always did Still gon' flex with a mask and drip Still sing chanted when I get lit This new to y'all, baby boy, I've been But I rap that flag even way back when Back when they both said, baby, this ain't it Now they tryna make another me wait Hold up, goddamn, can I get my cut? Everything that I've been making, they be taking what's up They want our culture, but don't show love They want our money, but they don't want us, bruh That's how I do it, that's how I do it You know, how do I do it? I don't know, this how I do it Thanks for tuning in to Latino Politics and News. We're bringing you another remote broadcast because we've got some important elections coming up that we want to keep you informed, and we are deputizing you to spread the word. Today, we're joined by Michael Moore, a Democrat candidate for Harris County Precinct 3. He's in a runoff against Diana Martinez-Alexander, who we've already had on the show. The runoff election is scheduled for July 14th. The winner will face Republican candidate Tom Ramsey in November. The seat is currently held by Republican incumbent Steve Raddick, who is retiring. Michael Moore was the chief of staff for former Houston Mayor Bill White. Michael and his wife Catherine were raised in Precinct 3, where they still live, and where they're raising their two daughters. Welcome to the program, Michael. Thanks for having me. Now, don't get nervous. I'm also a constituent. So we're going to start with some general questions then we're going to move on to some very specific questions regarding the district. And finally, when we close out, I want to give you a chance to tell our listeners more about your platform. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what inspired you to run for office. Thanks, Tony. Thanks for having me on the show. First of all, I believe in public service. I believe if you've got the ability, uh, if you've got the skill sets, if you can, I think you should run for office or volunteer, do something for your community. And I picked running for office. I believe that public servants can make a difference in everyday life, and I want to do all I can to help those in Harris County and Precinct 3 have better quality of life, help make our community the best it can be, and I think I have the skill sets to make something happen. First, I want to focus on education. If you were to win the seat of Harris County Commissioner for Precinct 3, You'd preside over the Harris County Library System. We're big proponents of Mexican-American studies. Would you advocate for more funding to buy more books and instructional material for the library? And would you also advocate for more books about Mexican-American and Latino history and culture? Why or why not? First of all, yes, I'd be a supporter of the library system and expanding their offerings. I want to have one caveat. We have, since I jumped in the race end of last summer, things have changed. We now are living in a new normal with the COVID-19. So many people unemployed, so many people lined up in food lines, trying to get rental assistance, uh, uh, utility assistance. There are going to be massive pressures on not only the county government, city government, the federal government. So we have to get the basic services. We got to make sure those are covered first. I do believe that libraries are important. I think the offerings are important. And we've got such a diverse community, especially the large Latino population. And we need to do everything we can to make sure that they've got the books, they've got the instructions, they've got the ability that they're looking for the content they want. But we're going to have a tough time going forward. And we've got to do everything we can to cover those basics first. Well, I'm glad you bring it up because that's going to be the ongoing discussion. And for listeners, I got a feeling our listeners already know how important elections are. But I want our listeners to think about this. Whoever wins 
in these upcoming elections, they're the ones that are going to have to make those tough decisions. We're seeing the tough decisions going on right now, which way we proceed with limited resources, not exactly sure which is the perfect or the right path. And just as you alluded to, at some point, someone who's presiding over the county, uh, the city, is going to have to decide where the money goes. Would you champion then art and culture and the humanities during these times of crises. Of course, you know, we, we got editorialized here where we also uh, have the program Latino writers having their say. Uh, we're always talking about education. So obviously we're big proponents of the humanities, but it's a tough argument to make, like you're saying, when there's folks that are struggling for rent money, we're worried about what the schools look like. What is your thought on the humanities and art and culture during an epidemic? It's very important. When I was chief of staff to former Mayor Bill White, he added to the senior staff head of cultural affairs. I think it's the first time it'd been added. Uh, now they have a head of director of cultural affairs for the city. Bill White started that the city to my recollection. That is very important. I have been on a nonprofit board called the, uh, the Orange Show uh, for visual arts. They also, the Orange Show also runs the Houston Art Car Parade. So I've also been active in that humanities community. Arts are so important. And a lot of the arts in, in Harris County in Houston, they're supported by donations. Other counties and other cities do more from the government side. I think it's important for us to support the arts. I will be an active participant. Precinct 3 is far from downtown. It's far from the museum district. I think we can do, and I'd like to do it, once we get past this first wave of, if I get elected and get past, start putting people back to work, get past the COVID crisis, is really spend some time in bringing those arts from the museum district and other parts over to the west side. I think we can do that. Why can't the, uh, the major museums have annexes out west? There's over a million people, over 1.2 million people live in Precinct 3. It goes all the way out to Katy. It includes Ailey, Spring Branch, Galleria area, Bel Air. It's uh, basically the whole west side of Harris County. So as a county commissioner, uh, I'll be active in that arena and bringing the humanities to the West Side. Great. You're actually getting ahead of the questions here <laughs> because I did want to talk in a bit, but I'll bring it up now. As a constituent of Precinct 3, I don't see enough arts and cultural facilities in the district across the board. And I'm looking very hard. I'd like to be corrected. I don't see any facilities that are promoting Latino art and culture out here in the precinct, even as the precinct becomes more and more Latino. You bring up a good case. We're going to have to survive the COVID-19 crisis, but we've got to thrive on the other side. As we get past this hurdle, like you mentioned, and we get to the next era, you mentioned programming, you mentioned satellites, what about actual buildings to help cultivate community art, especially Latino art? Is that something on the horizon? Given that, like you're saying, we got to get through the crisis first. I think it's very doable. I think you've got these big institutions. I'm just going to museum or uh, different museums that we've got. They have rotating art installations that come through. Sometimes they store them in warehouses. They just sit there. Why can't we have a rotating system where we have, and I'm calling it an annex, we can call it something else, out on the west side where they rotate uh, this art coming through? And that in, includes art from all the different cultures. We've got a, a very diverse community. I am proud of the diversity we have in uh, Harris County. I will be an advocate. I will promote that diversity. And it seems like we could have. I agree with you. I don't see, I don't know what we have. To my knowledge, I can't think of anything on the west side, uh, but I'm sure there are some uh, some installations. Uh, I need to do some background check on that, but we can do it and promote our diversity, especially the Hispanic uh, community. Well, I want our show to be different. Let's really brainstorm it. I'm actually on the Latino Advisory Board for the Museum of Fine Arts Houston and also the Alley Theater. I'm sure that there's some ways that 
they would love to, like you say, kind of build off existing infrastructures and come up with satellites that could help facilitate art in the community. Of course, I'm always going to take it back to Latino art, uh, as well as someday an actual building with actual programming for Latino art. And I don't want to dismiss our friends at Talento Building with Houston and also Mecca Multicultural Education for the Arts. But I really like which way you're going with this, which is saying that let's be open to bringing existing entities and then build from there. So that's that's great. That's something that we can uh, keep talking about. I, I want to take it right into the neighborhood now because we're mentioning a lot of our different communities. And this issue is very, very brass tacks. Now, I've made 10 phone calls up to now about graffiti on a bridge in the district. And it happens to be right on the Attix Dam. I called County Commissioner Raddick's office. They couldn't give me the name of a community rep to help me with this issue. After 10 calls, I tracked on a park ranger who called me back after I had made a call to the uh, Army Corps of Engineers. This bridge is a metaphor. It's where the Army Corps of Engineers meets or clashes or ignores the city of Houston and Harris County Commissioner's Court Precinct 3. Here's my question. Should a constituent have to make 10 calls to find out who's in charge of removing graffiti from the bridge, which the Army Corps of Engineers told me belongs to the city and lies over the ditch, what looks like a canal to me, which is owned by the county? What would you do to address a situation like this? First of all, Customer service is is high on the list for me. The constituents of Precinct 3 deserve uh, their phone calls returned. They deserve answers. I will be setting up a outreach team, a new outreach team for Precinct 3, if I'm lucky enough to be elected. That will be out in the community. People will know them. They'll be diverse. They'll look like the community itself. And they will be responsive to the community. It is ridiculous. You had to call 10 times. When I was at the city of Houston, we did have issues with graffiti. We tried to do it ourselves. Some of the uh, public works did it. It ended up being uh, easier for us to hire a outside firm to do it on a regular basis, on a rotating basis. If you got these one-offs like you're talking about with this bridge, Corps of Engineers, the city, the county, all involved into it, we wouldn't let it sit. We would come up with a solution. We'd get it done, even if we had to do it ourselves, even if it's not our bridge. It might be our canal. It might be the city bridge. Phone call to the city of Houston say, hey, we're going to take care of this. That's okay. Sure, get it done. Uh, about getting things done. Uh, we did that at the city of Houston. We didn't wait around. We made things happen. That's why I've been, I'm so proud to have the endorsements of Harris County Commissioner Adrian Garcia. I'm proud to have the endorsement of uh, uh, Sheriff Ed Gonzalez and State Senator Carol Alvarado and many others, but it's getting things done. It's not waiting. Uh, that won't happen that you had to call over 10 times to get an answer. That won't happen if I'm county commissioner. Who knew it would be cutting edge to propose <laughs> a task force to address constituent needs? We'll follow up on that. Now, for some folks who may be listening and may be thinking, wow, that's very particular. Let me ask you this. Can you see how this problem is a metaphor for larger issues? On a sunny day, we are glad to have a bridge and that we can walk over, obviously. But when it floods, we want to know who's going to come to our aid. And more importantly, who will keep us from getting flooded? So, Mr. Michael Moore, what will you do to keep Sherwood Forest and Renwood Forest from being flooded? When I started running for county commissioner, one of the major issues is improving flood control. We have neglected it for many, many years. The $2.5 billion bond they passed a number of years ago was a great start. Once we finish that 2.5, we're going to have to go out with another a bond election. It's not enough. But what we need to do is get those current projects done as soon as possible. While everybody's responding to COVID crisis, we have to have make sure flood control and others are focused on what they're supposed to be doing and getting those projects done. Uh, to my knowledge, those projects are advancing. I'm hearing early reports that we're expecting a more active hurricane season this year. On top of COVID, on top of the oil and gas industry, issues with the oil and gas industry, we need to protect ourselves and we need to make sure those projects are done. Another Harvey would just devastate. 
this community as it did the first time. Keeping our, making sure we're finishing those projects will still be on top of my priority because we can't protect if somebody's home. Uh, it, it's just devastating to somebody. If you've ever been flooded, it's just totally devastating. My dad was flooded out during Harvey. We had to sell his house. He's now in assisted living. And so this is on top of my uh, list of priorities. Uh, obviously, responding to uh, the COVID crisis uh, trumps everything right now. But getting those projects done, we've been trying to control water. We need to learn how to manage water. We need to come up with new solutions, except for just building this gray infrastructure, the canals uh, that we've been building. We've had that for many, many years. We need to start working on more green infrastructure for our community that we need to learn how to live with water. Global warming is real. Climate change is real. And we're going to continue to see these massive rain events. Okay. If we have these massive, we need to, back when I was a kid living in Houston, it flooded, the streets filled up. And then as soon as it stopped raining, uh, the water went away. We need to get back to those times. It can't continue when you get a major rain event. It shuts down the entire region. We have we have to prepare for those events as everyday occurrences and try to get to that point. Continuing to make sure those projects are finished as quickly as possible uh, will be on top of the agenda so that we protect our community from these rain events. Well, and I'm glad you're bringing real-life examples to, to this issue. You make a good point, too, saying that let's come up with real plans that lead to real life, that lead to a good quality of living. There's several civic clubs in that area who are working with community members. They can tell you where the flooding is, okay? They could they could sit down and tell the Army Corps of Engineers that Sherwood Forest floods. They can tell you where Renwood Forest floods. They can tell you how Britmore floods, Spring Branch floods. Is there a way under your constituency, if you win, that you'd be able to incorporate real feedback from the community that might lead to retention ponds, that might lead to other ways to, to navigate the water, like you said. If there hasn't already been a discussion going on between all the communities, not only in Precinct 3, but in others about what the issues are for certain neighborhoods, then somebody needs to be let go. So if there's not a Corps engineer that doesn't know what's going on in Sherwood, Forest, and others, we've got a big problem. Getting a handle on that and making sure the Corps of Engineers, making sure that the flood control districts are listening to the community, do have it on their agenda to fix to talking to the community, to find exactly what's going on, whether it's sheet flow, whether it's canal overflowing, whether we've got pipes that are too small for the bigger pipes for the overflow to run through them, we've got a big problem. And so I will be on top of this. I will make sure that we have community meetings. I will make sure that outreach team that I talked about earlier are communicating and passing those that information along. We're not going to ignore the issue. There's certain areas that we do have to have more detention and retention, especially Braised Bayou. There's not enough throughput there. There's not enough throughput in other areas. We have to pay attention to the community. We have to listen. We have to incorporate that in the plans. Like I said earlier, we have $2.5 billion. We're now addressing some of the flooding uh, needs. We're going to have to do it again. This is a starting point. Once those projects are all done, we're going to have to go back and do another bond election for more flood control, more green infrastructure, uh, that helps slow the water down, helps soak it in. We're going to have to save the Katy Prairie, what's left of it. Let it be a sponge. Right now, the Katy Prairies is almost entirely in 100 500-year floodplains. We need to protect that. We need to limit thoroughfares going through it so that it, it soaks it up and protects the downstream. I am not a county commissioner yet. I can't tell the Corps of Engineer what to do. I can't make sure that they're listening to people. I have a feeling that they are. But right now they have so, probably so many projects. They just they used to be underfunded, and then all of a sudden after Harvey they got a big 2.5 billion dollar infusion. That doesn't include the federal money and all the city of Houston money uh, and the state money. They've had to ramp up significantly. If I'm lucky enough to be elected by the voters of Precinct Three, I will be on top of this and make sure that all the neighborhoods are being listened to. Before we get to a final chance for you to tell our listeners something we might have overlooked or some of your passions as you pursue this post. I do want to invite you back. I think of this as an introduction, and I want to ask you if you'd be open to participating in 
perhaps either a virtual town hall, since we don't quite know what's going to be happening with this pandemic and the transition out of the lockdown, or or a live event, be it either with yourself or or maybe some of the other candidates. Sure, be happy to anytime. Fantastic. Well, in closing, tell us a little bit about maybe some of the issues we missed, or maybe some of your main passions that are going to be part of your platform that we may have overlooked and you want people to know about. I'm running because I believe in public service. I believe in giving back. And that means working for the entire community. I will be a county commissioner for all of Precinct 3, from A-Leaf and Gulfton and Bel Air and the Galleria area, all the way to Spring Branch, Katy, Briar Forest area, you name it. I'd be a commissioner for the entire precinct. I believe in public service. I believe in giving back. I believe in the, the diversity we have in our community is special and we need to shine a light on it and we need to celebrate the diversity we have. We have major issues. Number one is COVID-19. Who would have thought this would have hit a year ago? It's number one and related issues, unemployment, food lines, uh, health, just so many issues. We've also got to continue to improve our flood control. We've got to look at new transit solutions. We have to continue to have better parks, trails, and a whole better quality of life in safer communities. We have a healthcare system, Harris Health, where over 50% of their clients are uninsured. That is just not right. Uh, we have the highest uninsured rate of any major, our county is almost 20% uninsured, double the national average. That can't continue. We need a transparent, efficient government that's listening to the people, listen to the constituents. I'll be that kind of county commissioner. I'm blessed to have a great family. I come from seven, there's seven of us. We all grew up in precinct three. My wife grew up here. We're raising two of our, our beautiful girls here. My wife is a licensed clinical social worker for the VA hospital, headed, helping vets transition out of the hospital. I am lucky to have the endorsement of the Houston Chronicle, my friend, Harris County Commissioner Adrian Garcia, Sheriff Ed Gonzalez, former Mayor Bill White, and many, many others. I would be honored to have those listening. And you, Tony, you're a voter here. I'd be honored to have y'all's vote uh, in the July 14th runoff. I thank you for having me, Tony. And uh, I look forward to doing this again. We have been chatting with Michael Moore, Democrat candidate for Harris County Precinct 3. He's in a runoff July 14th. Thanks for calling in and thanks for tuning in. Me 
vienes cuando quieras, borracho y loco, yo quiero ser tu príncipe azul y negro y rojo, me gusta bailar, me gusta cantar, yo quiero una paisa que tenga tumbao, que tenga menao, camine pa' frente o camine de lado, piripiripam, mucha candela, tiene mucho back, así como Selena, me tengo que agarrar al tiempo de bailar, porque ese pum pum me puede tambalear, ra. Thanks for tuning in to Latino Politics and News. I'm Tony Diaz. And today we're bringing you a young Latino candidate running for city council in Stafford. We want to focus on a couple things. What does it mean to run for a campaign? Do you expect to get everything just during that first campaign? Or are there reasons to keep running? Additionally, what's it like to run during the era of the coronavirus epidemic. How's the shutdown influencing how you campaign? And last, we got to bring this up as a subtext, but that's important. Fort Bend Latinos. Shout out to the Fort Bend Latinos. <laughs> how many of y'all are there? <laughs> and what what is happening for our representation out there? All that ties in. So first, I want to Welcome, Adam, to the program. We're taping him remotely. Adam, thank you for calling in. Appreciate it for having me. Adam Sanchez was born in Missouri City. He attended school in Sugarland, and now he's made his home in Stafford. He has six years in city government working in the Public Works Department of Missouri City. He currently sits on the Stafford Planning and Zoning Commission. That's given him an inside look on how to get things done in Stafford City Hall. He's worked hard to get young people involved in the political process. His involvements include the Fort Bend Young Democrats, and he's the youth vice chair of the Fort Bend Tejano Democrats, too. He's already working hard for the city of Stafford and to project Stafford in the most positive way, and he's here to make a difference. We're glad to have him on the air. Tell us about your first campaign and how that's helped you build on this campaign. I ran for mayor of Stafford last year in 2019. I say run, but I really walked because I only got like 2% of the vote. But I was able to get a lot of support from the candidates that actually ran for mayor. And they were like, well, this young guy, man, he's doing good, man. He's, he's sincerely wants to, to help. So maybe he, he shouldn't have jumped in the deep end, but it was it was a big experience for me. And I got to meet so many people that said, hey, you know what? If you keep going at it, we'll support you. We like your ideas. We like that you you can be the next generation of leadership for this city. It was actually a very learning experience because I didn't know anything about politics before that. You know, I, I watched the su Sunday morning talk shows, but I didn't know about organizing. I didn't know about block walking, you know, van or any of that stuff. And, and, and it was a crash course in, in, in campaign 101 for me. It sounds like it was a humbling experience. But you got a lot out of it, which I think is the lesson. And I hope our listeners take that to heart. It's not that single shot that does it. It's building and building and building. So for the official parameters of your election, you'll be running in the November 3rd election. Maybe mail-in ballots might be in person. The world doesn't know yet. But as of this recording, there was a push for mail-in ballots, so that is a possibility. Your opponent is an incumbent, Don Jones. The race is nonpartisan, so it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican. So those are the general rules. However, all the general rules are out of the window because you're running in the post-corona era. So tell us, what were some of your plans coming into this? What'd you have to throw out? the window because of the lockdown and how are you planning to proceed forward basically everything i learned the first go around with running for mayor is thrown out the window i've talked to other candidates and other races and they're like yeah we don't this is uncharted territory just like anything else going on right now the most important thing the most effective way to campaign is to face to face block walk and you can't do any of those things right now so it's it's a it's a big challenge you really have to think outside the box, get creative. I guess being a millennial and, and being younger, I'm already on my phone 24-7 as it is. So 
social media is at my fingertips and that's something I've had to utilize and and maybe do the the Facebook ads or you know Instagram Twitter um just reaching out to people that um are from Stafford or you know I look for Stafford uh centric groups on Facebook and so that's one way you can you know meet people that you you don't know of in Stafford I've really reached out to people that supported me last time so basically I've been running for 2 years I ran for mayor and now the city council. So it, that kind of helped me out a lot. And so just reaching out to people, you know, via the web or, you know, any way I can, you know, I've been um, talking to a lot of business owners during this coronavirus. And, you know, it's always, you know, I try to do the hashtag uh, support, uh, hashtag uh, eat local and hashtag eat Stafford. And I try to get them as much uh, publicity. And they said they put my signs up if, if you, you know, if I, I shout them out on Instagram or Twitter or anything like that. And so I've been building, you know, partnerships where I can, you know, people will go to these restaurants and they'll see my sign and hopefully go to the website or, or follow me on Instagram or on any social media and, and you learn more about me. And, and hopefully, you know, we can, you know, get rid of this coronavirus or at least tamper it down. So, you know, I can meet the people face to face or, you know, glove to glove, so to speak. Yeah. And hopefully we can, uh, I can re-strategize that way, but it's, it's been a, it's been a challenge. Well, and, and let's paint an even bleaker picture because a lot of times we'll use Ballotpedia as a reference. However, your race is not on there. Okay. I know it takes time to populate that, but that's another strike against you. And let's give you a political test right now. If I go to the website for Stafford City, it doesn't list the updated election dates either. What's up with that? How would you explain that if you're a city councilman <laughs> and how are you going to get around all that? Working in local government, I know how we've all been working remote or different schedules to alleviate this uh, social distancing and stuff like that. So this is like the worst time to run for something. But, you know, you got to take it in stride. You got to be positive about it and, and, and you just take it as it comes. And, and, and hopefully you can take these lessons that you're learning by running through through the coronavirus and really just makes you a better candidate, makes you a better person. Hopefully when I do get on a city council, I can uh, look for uh, little things like that so I can, you know, shoot the emails to the, the people that to our communications department, see if we can get that uh, resolved real quick. Um, I'll add that to the platform. <laughs> good. good attitude <laughs> and good idea. And, and as far as public service goes, that's another reason that the team here at Latino Politics and News wanted to get back on the radio platform. We wanted to make sure that we were airing up-to-date shows on KPFT because we know there's a need. And we realized it was going to be harder than ever for anyone to campaign but we really wanted to make sure that the Latino community stayed informed and gets involved. So we appreciate your public service, appreciate you being open about it, and we appreciate that we can get the word out. Speaking of the Latino population, break down what the Latino population is out in Fort Bend and what's the representation like. We've got one of our colleagues, uh, Javier Herrera. He's a fantastic proponent for Mexican Studies. We know he serves on the school board in that um in that area. So shout out to him, but give us the lowdown on what it looks like for our community there. In Stafford, I mean, uh, like we said, Xavier's on the school board. We have two Hispanic Latinos on the, the school board, two on city council, but in Stafford, it, it's, it's really indicative of the demographics in Fort Bend. Fort Bend's kind of equally shared within white, black, Latino, Asian, South Asian, East Asian, those demographics. There's pockets of Latinos everywhere in Fort Bend. I know in Stafford, that's a big population there. They have a big history in, in Stafford and, and a little bit in Missouri City. Um, I know Richmond Rosenberg, there's a lot of Latino presence there. Sugarland, um, like I said, there's pockets near the sugar factory, the uh, I forget the real name of the, the neighborhood, but they call it the Quarters because there's a funny story behind that. Because they used to be uh, the, used to work for the sugar factory, so they would live in those quarters. So that's that's a big uh, black and brown area for uh, Sugarland. But just like around the country, uh, Latinos are everywhere. And we just need to be able to make our voices heard and have our seat at the table. It's, it's really fascinating. This era is going to be defined by the fact that we come to the table because there's so many of us. Our sheer numbers 
have made us a force to be reckoned with. But by the same token, we're so diffuse that sometimes it's hard to harness that that energy. I say that too because you overlap in one of the major congressional races, which is the Texas Congressional District 22, where uh, you've got Sri Kulkarni who'll be running against whoever wins on the Republican runoff side. And of course, that's the seat that was formerly held by Republican Pete Olson. He retired, but that's an area that people are looking at to see if there'll be a shift from Republican seat to Democrat seat. Of course, as a nonprofit uh, radio station, we're not proposing either one, but it is our civil right to be able to explore some of that. Tell us how much of your area overlaps in 22. And I think that also speaks a little bit to the gerrymandering that our community has to deal with. Right. I know just little pockets of Stafford are in 22, and that's more of the, the Sugarland borderline that overlaps into Sugarland. So that's probably north of our 59 border and then just left of our Dulles Avenue. There's like a little neighborhood, Sugar Creek. It's Half of it's in Sugarland, half of it's in Stafford. So it's just but those little squiggly lines on the on the map that that that's how it became Stafford and uh, Latinos really aren't in those neighborhoods as much as you know maybe white black or any other ethnicity we're normally toward like the the old neighborhoods the 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 legacy neighborhoods as I'd like to call it of of uh Kingsway or you know Vaquero Manor or Missouri City Estates which that's where most of the Latino population lives in in in, in Stafford as far as art and culture in the community, what does that look like for Mexican-Americans and Latinos in that area? And what would you do to address some of those issues? There's room to grow in those areas for art in general. I really wanted to, I've actually reached out to uh, a couple of Latino artists, uh, Donkey Boy, I don't know if you're familiar with him. He, he does all the Eighth Wonder stuff. And I reached out to him. I was like, well, you know, we're we're building the grid and we should really have something like like a mural or something, because he's really good at murals and all his art is, you know, amazing. And um, I've become a big fan of his. And so, I, you know, I'm trying to see if we can get like a mural in like the 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 island as though they call it the main street off of 90, the part of Stafford and get like a mural on the old town buildings and kind of bring in more rejuvenation, more artsy you know, uh, I don't want to say hipster, but, you know, stuff like that, like stuff you would see in, in a more like an Austin or a, a San Antonio kind of with the Latino presence in Stafford. I, I would like to see see more of that. We have the Stafford Center, which I, I believe is underutilized and we could bring in more, you know, maybe Latino or even art centric theater or, or art galleries or, or stuff to that to, to make it more culture, to make it more modern in a way is one way to put it. Great. No, and of course, with our sister show, Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, we'd love to work long term to get more art and culture from a Latino perspective into Stafford, regardless of how it works. And of course, appeal to other ethnicities as well. What are What are some of the other issues that you think are facing Stafford that you specifically can help with? One of the biggest ones that Stafford's known for no city property tax. So it kind of makes it difficult like other cities. Other cities can rely on their city property tax to either do projects or get them through something like the coronavirus that's going on right now. Stafford relies so much on the sales tax that with everything shut down, that poses, we're not going to get that revenue to make payroll to to do projects that we need to do to ensure the the services of the people of Stafford can rely on. Before the coronavirus, of course, I wanted to utilize the grid that we're building, the fountains, um, the hotels that we have. Um, the Stafford Center loses so much money every year that we could bring in conventions or music festivals that make sure the hotels and the restaurants and the bars and, and, and the shops that we have they're able to get more people from outside of Stafford to spend their money and, and it brings in more tax revenue. So we don't have to worry about ever going back to a city property tax. But at the same time now that the whole game has changed with the coronavirus, the governor wants to open up Texas, but you can open it up as much as you want. But if people don't want to come out, they're not going to come out. So we have to think outside the box 
to get the economy going again. And with the oil industry doing what it's doing, everything is, is, is on the downturn. But we have to look at it in a positive way that what can we do? What can we learn from this that we can not go through a recession but rejuvenate the economy? Do we go more to mom-and-pop shops? Do we shop more online? Is it more of our small businesses using apps or getting in touch with younger people that know more about tech to build apps and coding and stuff like that that they teach at the Stafford School District? And we can utilize that to maybe bring more people or more businesses to the small businesses because we've seen on the national level that these bigger businesses are getting the small business loans and we're going to try to help out all our small business as much as we can at the same time while growing our economy, jumpstarting it, and hopefully getting it to the point that it was before the coronavirus. All fascinating ideas. And I think that makes the message clear that if you don't think elections matter, dear listeners, this is the proof. Our leaders right now have to decide how we proceed out of the epidemic and how we thrive on the other side. So Adam, I consider this an introductory to our listeners. I hope that you will come back and I'd like to give you these last few moments for you to to thrill our listeners with your ideas and your passion for running. Uh, the website is uh, SanchezForStafford.com. It has all my social media, my actual real number. I don't have like a burner number or nothing like that. So it it goes straight to my email, straight to my phone, my phone number. I really want to keep Stafford prosperous. I want to keep it the Stafford that I grew up wanting to live in. No city property tax that you have to fight for. You have to be fiscally responsible for every dollar you do. But we also have to bring in enough revenue so we, we don't go back to a no city property tax. So that's being creative. My second point of the platform is bring more tax revenue. We'll have to get even more creative after this coronavirus. But it, it, there's if there's a will, there's a way. Third is animal welfare. I'm a big proponent. Me and my girlfriend are big animal lovers. And there's a lot of animal lovers in the city of Stafford. And I want to make that a community priority to taper down the stray pet population and have work to build our relationship with the Missouri City Animal Shelter that we share, that Stafford shares a facility with. And I think I can make that relationship stronger and get more pets adopted. Fourth is no matter what you feel about Climate change, those storms in the Gulf are getting bigger and badder by the year. So we have to enact proactive drainage and flood strategies. Stafford fared fairly well during Hurricane Harvey, but that's not to say that nobody was a, nobody had water in their home. So we have to be proactive instead of reactive when it comes to flood strategies. And, you know, that's that's a big part of people that I've talked to in different neighborhoods that were affected during Harvey. And five, which is last but not least, the school district. We have to adopt and hold ourselves to a standard, the highest standard of safety and education for every student in the Stafford Municipal School District. And that's working with the, the city council and the trustee school board to ensure that's an option, making sure they have the biggest opportunity to succeed, whether it's in Stafford or wherever they choose to go because there's an excellent pipeline of SMSD students to HCC and into the workforce, and they can do that all in Stafford. And hopefully when we enact, and once I'm on city council, we can make that a possibility, get people out to vote, and hopefully they, they, they consider me, and hopefully I can earn their vote during this uh, coronavirus and beyond. Now, we do hope to have in-person events, town halls, or maybe even debate, debates, would you be open to either coming back on the air or joining us for one of these public events? Oh, yes. I'm, I'm always down for a little bit of debate and meeting people and meeting the folks at Stafford. I'm always down for that. Well, thank you so much. We have been chatting with Adam Sanchez, who is a candidate for Stafford City Council, and he is up for election November 3rd. Thank you so much for calling in. We want to thank our crew that's putting the show together, Letty Lopez, Rodrigo Bravo, who mixed this show remotely, Claudia Soler Alfonso, Jesse Aranda Comer, Lori Flores, Stefano Cabeza, and Al Castillo. Thanks for tuning in. 
This is Tony Diaz with Latino Politics and News. contributions play an extremely important role in the quality of the music and news you hear on this station. If you've never made a contribution to KPFT, we need to hear from you. With the threat of reduced federal funding for public radio, first-time contributors are more important now than ever. Call 713-526-5738 now to make your tax-deductible contribution or pledge online at kpft.org. We need your pledge. You make a huge difference in this radio station when you pledge to KPFT. Again, that number is 713-526-KPFT. Call and make your tax-deductible contribution today. You can also pledge online at kpft.org. This is commercial-free, listener-sponsored Pacifica Radio. KPFT, Houston. Are you a local musician, club owner, 
or in need of getting the word out about an upcoming live music show or event? If so, send us your information and we will include it on KPFP's live music calendar. Americana, blues, country, rock, jazz, zydeco, reggae, tejano, hip, we include it all. Send us as much info as far in advance as possible and we'll make sure it's available to all of our listeners. We provide this free service in an effort to promote and support our vibrant live music community. All it costs you is the time and the effort to send